0: back to Nota Fene, the president has COVID. Which president? Uh, The current one. The current one? The current president. Kim
1: Kardashian has has COVID?
0: I mean, he's not a very well man. Like, Should we be concerned?
1: No, this is great because no one wants him to run again. Okay. Uh, Even, you know, centrist cucked Democrats like myself Mm -hmm. don't want him to run again. This would be a great face-saving way. Either he gets so sick and or, God forbid, you know, becomes incapacitated and we can get someone that, like, you know, that can ride a bike up there. (laughs)
0: I can't believe this is happening not only hours before the next congressional hearing, but also right after Ivana Trump mysteriously died on the Upper East Side.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I hear she uh, she liked her Chablis, if you know what I mean. It mm. had a fairly uh, um, a treacherous staircase and listen, that age, Chablis, and a, and a staircase like that, not a great combination. Did
0: we talk about how it's a coincidence that she died on the same day that, that our favorite... uh acronymic gallery opened their space on the same block lvmh gallery
1: Ooh, ooh yeah i wonder if she just the, the notion of you know having to see bread every day just made her want to end it all <laughs> i don't think so he's a lovely he's a lovely guy
0: but yeah lock going on 64th street that's for sure
1: yeah yeah 64th street man it's a it's the heartbeat of manhattan the heartbeat and the heartbeat of manhattan is the heartbeat of the world
0: yeah so so yes so since we've last potted uh ivana trump has died the president has covid and, you know, not much else has happened, actually. That's, that's been- well, listen,
1: all these, just like everyone else that decides to take a little jaunt to Europe this year, the president took a jaunt to Europe and he brought back the vid. Yeah.
0: This is true.
1: So listen, I know all you people that are hanging out in Ibiza and and planning on rolling back to the Hamptons for August, like quarantine your asses. Mm-hmm.
0: Just just get tested. There's some new variant that I can't really be bothered to pay attention to. Apparently,
1: um, I I don't want to be Le Bouquet. Okay. You know what I was thinking? I was I was having dinner with a friend of the pod, Meredith Daryl, last night. We had a quick uh, where'd you guys uh, go? Co- well, we had a quick cocktail at Le Bouquet in Sag Harbor. Course. And the the bar there, like the restaurant's a little bit much for me. Of course, great. But at the right hour, the yeah. bar on a weekday is fantastic. Uh, and then we went to Tutte, Tutte Giorno, uh, uh, very very mediocre but very good food. Like terrible service. But I'm looking around. It's the middle of the week, so I guess I guess back to office is normal because it's all women and me. Because mm-hmm. the husbands, I guess, are back in the back in the city, earning uh, the bucks. But all these ladies are like flashing the 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 wrist jewelry, mm-hmm. the watches. And I was thinking, you know what? That's something that that the Hamptons has up on both Los Angeles and most of Europe. You can wear. Oh, nice watch out of the house and not get carjacked for it. Yeah, I mean like, it, uh, it, which is an endemic across Europe, uh, London. Like people just getting ro- wrists like like getting slashed in the face and then wrist wrist watches uh, grabbed off their wrist all over Los Angeles. People are getting jacked as they're coming out of their homes mm-hmm. for their for their secondhand Rolexes. Uh, so listen, that doesn't happen out here in the Hamptons. I'm just saying this is this is God's country. <laughs>
0: <laughs> God's country. Yeah, it's just a, a, a wonderful enclave of of the point oh oh one percent yeah you know
1: it. uh back the blue man shout out to the psych harbor police department <laughs> um <laughs> that, that's I, I hope everyone realizes that that is absolutely a jest you know i realize that out here there's all these beautiful luxury automobiles bentley's and the like uh and they for some reason have florida plates because their residents or their owners excuse me have claimed residence in the state I of i wonder florida. why they would do uh, that yeah to, to avoid any sort of uh state or city taxation on their income uh, but I'm thinking the, the Venn diagram between people that have those Florida plates on their nice cars up here and that have said in an unjocular way, and an unironic way, unlike me, uh, blue lives matter too. That Venn diagram is a circle. Uh, oh, wow. Anyway, let's get into it. It's like the doldrums. It's a little, it's funny. It's kind of the doldrums in the summer of the art world. Not a ton going on. Got to be honest with you, clients aren't really picking up the phones. Yeah. I sent out some offers this week isn't exactly you know they're, they're bobbing around in the med not really maybe so interested in acquiring the i i've
0: literally turned off notifications on my phone you can't really yeah well you, even,
1: you listen you're you're taking care of
2: a baby this you got true. a lady baby mm-hmm.
1: i've also I've, uh, I've 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 got like the kind of the the thing where it prevents you from getting into some apps unless you put in your passcode right now i leave it on all day for the instagram and twitter like i don't need to know no, i just no, don't i don't need to i don't really nothing to, it's to know beautiful about. outside uh-huh it's eighty-two degrees. Uh, you know I am. I am podcasting shirtless, uh, mm-hmm. just off the tennis court. So in um, the
0: city where I am, it's it's creeping up above ninety. I haven't been outside since seven a.m., but I I think it's pretty brutal.
1: Yeah, I hope you get the AC bumping in. there. Oh,
0: it's it's just full blast. It's the only way to do it. Are you guys it.
1: getting any, Are you guys getting any sleep?
0: Yeah, a little bit. You know, that's that's not the concern. Honestly, just like the heat is such that you can't really move around at all during the day.
1: Well, it doesn't seem like it. You guys have been on quite the old lady, I should say, has been on the, quite the social whirlwind. She's getting held and cuddled, and everyone, everyone's lining up to meet the downtown royalty.
0: Well, I mean, you know, it's nice to just check in, you know, and, and just sort of stay in the neighborhood, which is what we've been doing while we're in the city. Upstate, we're basically just staying at the house. But yeah, I mean, like it's nice to check out some of the old haunts. We we had lunch yesterday at Cafe Mogador. We've stopped by Lucien, and. Uh, a few other local places, Nelly was 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 had by us. I think that you know we're just taking baby steps with the baby.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a lot. That's a lot of very important key downtown places already mm-hmm. in the three short weeks of life. Yeah, uh, you know, and of course Lucian will. You know, we won't get into it, but is a place is a location that will loom large mm-hmm. in the
0: in in the life of Lady. Right. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, we took her in, to in, lunch at the Odeon when she was 16 days old, which, in my opinion, was actually kind of a long time to wait.
1: Uh, the first lunch out uh, that we had with my first child uh, was uh, uh, a restaurant on the Upper West Side uh with the same ownership group Mm -hmm. Cafe Luxembourg so listen I love it it's a great it's it's a great first baby trip Mm -hmm. to to create a true New Yorker Mm -hmm. a true New Yorker absolutely anyway yeah I've been keeping it like I haven't really been going out here in the Hamptons I went out last night with mayor Mm -hmm. uh, and bopped about but really keeping it close to home like you know a lot of tennis uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of emails a lot of reading a lot of family time Um, I won't go into who I've been seeing during some of these country club uh, uh, endeavors because they might not want to be blown up like that you know um, they don't, they don't want people to know that in the middle of the day, they're playing tennis with me. There was an um, event. But I did, Yeah, I did, I did hit an event. I went, uh, I, on a, on a, I mean, this is, this is, this was a lot for me on a Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Wow. Loaded up the car. Actually, a client, uh, was nice enough to offer a drive from SAG, uh, all the way to Southampton, which for me is like mm. way too far, especially on a weekend. Uh, it was sweetened by the fact that the drive was like a 1968 vintage okay. Rolls Royce limousine. That's pretty sick. Um. Yeah, that was pretty sick. Uh, the, the the This client who gave me the ride offered to let me sit in the back, but there was going to be some weird uh, racial undertones to that that I wasn't comfortable with. Um, so declined that very kind and sweet offer. Plus, I wanted to bond and chit-chat uh, with them. Um, and we uh, we headed to Peter Marino's foundation, the Leather Daddy interior designer to the the point oh 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 one percent who has an art foundation there in the former library mm-hmm. in Southampton. you know
0: marino's I, been on the mind i actually went to an apartment in uh new york soho that i think was the first peter marino designed apartment i'm not going to say whose apartment it is but it,
1: are you guys thinking of was this a real estate tour you guys thinking of upgrading now that you have an
0: now that there's three oh no, we just were visiting some friends and then. uh it was just remarkable to be in one of these, like, really fucking merinoed out, like, you know, parties. So like an,
1: a late 80s, early 90s era thing, if it was one of his first uh, projects. Yeah, I deaths. think
0: it was actually earlier than that. I think this was, you know, so early that he hadn't even adopted the leather daddy persona. He was dressing in like Brooks Brothers and shit this is really um, i would on. love
1: to i mean this is you know I, I i don't want to sound thirsty on the pod but i would love to do an interview with peter marino Fuck yeah. i am absolutely fascinated with this guy for those listeners i can't imagine they're out there but who might not know uh he's ostensibly a straight man who dresses like he's straight out of a tom of finland drawing um the full leather daddy ensemble and you know does all the biggest luxury uh, uh, retail establishments across Asia, Europe, and the United States, as well as some very, very high-end homes mm-hmm. and apartments. Yeah. and the t- I'm
0: not. I mean, they have the AD Top 100. He must be like AD AD Top three mm-hmm. or something like that. Truly, one of the best of the best of the best, and also just a distillation of a very, uh, you know, certain kind of luxury. And you know, it's it's fun. It's a little gaudy, but not like over the top it's it's chic but also a little campy it's you know it's an incredible aesthetic really
1: and i was frankly uh surprised i'd never been to his foundation have you ever been there before you know what? I In Southampton? No. uh it's like it's i mean it's a cool old i guess it's probably an 1880s um li- former library um, but he has it hung Chucker block man, it is a wow. tight hang of uh you know it has like ni- you know uh nineteenth century um statuary as well as a ton of handsome kiefer, but I mean every square inch that could be hung with a picture is hung with a picture. Wow, um at least to the part that I saw, and I was going for an event uh, billed as brunch with Bob, a conversation between Bob calicchio and Sanford Biggers, uh, mm-hmm. the great artist. Um and and uh, Bob obviously the great recontor. I mean mm-hmm. who is a former uh, confidant of Andy Warhol
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and uh, downtown fixture really a New York fixture
0: yeah he had an interview for a number of years uh, and wrote the really m- indispensable book Holy Terror which is the the Warhol book that I think is widely regarded to be the best Warhol book it's really fantastic uh, and I'm and- gonna put
1: myself on blast in public I've never read it.
0: So good, and also a uh, longtime writer for Vanity Fair. Love Bob.
1: Yeah, a uh, special guy. So uh, the talk with the Sanford uh, up in the uh, up in the foundation where they had a number of his works, both uh, statuary and fabric works. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was it was Bob Sanford, but uh, Peter also took part in the talk. And I believe it was Peter's daughter was the young woman oh. on stage. She wasn't introduced. She seemed young to be a wife, but uh, who knows in this day and age? But pretty pretty sure it was a daughter. No judgment. Um, yeah, no judgments at all. Um, It was great. Sanford's obviously brilliant. You know, because he's a former professor, he's able to, uh, or I I would think that's one of the reasons he's able to speak really uh, elegantly and smartly and in depth about the core source of his work. Um, And it was really nice. It was a really great way to to, to, to learn about his practice in a more in-depth way. They kept it nice and jaunty, 50 quick minutes, lots of laughter, lots of giggles. Peter had lots of, I was really impressed by Peter's actual, for someone who presents as such a tough looking guy and who's known for such chic, elegant uh, projects, his questions had this amazing childlike wonder where he was really, like, mm. really into it. Uh, the way that mo- the best collectors that I've ever met do, where it's it goes beyond the intellectual. And it's a real like, you know, almost like a little kid wanting to know more about someone's vision. So that was that was really, really nice. Uh, some great questions from the audience. Um, uh, in attendance, I saw a great collector, Netta Young, was there. Uh, she stood out. I'm going to miss some people Love there. That, Obviously, Mar- Marianne Boski, who's Sanford's mm-hmm. gallerist, uh, a past co-host of the pod, Uh. Andrea, um, was there, Neustein was there, uh, and uh, who else? Rashid was there. Rashid Johnson with his mom were there. I know he and Sanford are are, are friendly. They are, are, yeah, pretty good friends. In fact, I know I've seen Sanford at Rashid's house in the past. So it was cool. It was like I felt like I was getting a little getting a little vegetables with my summer mm-hmm. of dessert. You know, uh, I felt like I was engaging intellectually. They had some some nice iced teas and cocktails uh, on the patio afterwards. But we zipped right out of there because it was a beautiful beach day. Mm. So I went right from there. The incredible. Um, But, you know, what a life. I I felt really uh, self-satisfied for having done something uh, such as that. Unfortunately, uh, that night, um, there was uh, a couple of openings that I just couldn't Mm -hmm. couldn't get to attend. David Lewis, who has a gallery out here, who I'm going to speak with. uh, I'm going to go right from here down to the gallery to see the show and then sit down with an interview for the people. Amazing. Uh, The second half of this podcast. So unfortunately, I had to miss out on that. This is the
0: first Um, year of David Lewis East, the first
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah pretty impressive so i'm i'm, I'm interested to to kind of learn about both his background and the history of the gallery and how he came to make the decision to be yeah, out stay, here stay this tuned. summer yeah mm-hmm. um and uh so that's kind of the only fucking art related thing i've done other than than tennis partnering with some art world people mm-hmm. um and what else so we missed uh i i don't think you took time out from being a brand new daddy to attend uh the christie's art and tech conference i don't
0: think that i uh, i would have gone if i was completely free and they paid me. I, I mean, I'm sorry, zero interest. And good luck with that that uh, NFT VC, fucking firm, Chris.
1: Yeah, is. they seem a little late on that. Yeah. I didn't understand it. They're setting up a VC uh, firm or wing. Uh, of course, they didn't say how much money they're putting into this it's wing. A so it's a couple hundred thousand dollars. No, it's a couple million.
0: Mil, I think. It's uh, that doesn't buy you much, man. No, but say. still, it's. It's. I mean, there's a lot of effort behind it. They're going after just you know a space that has lost trillions of dollars in the last. You know a few months it's just... is it
1: you know i i obviously i was so annoyed by even the headlines to it i didn't actually read the body of any of the stories i mean um, yeah is it is it? Is it surely is it is it solely focused on the nft
0: uh market i uh, not solely focused i think they're they're operating as a sort of you know a vc fund in an art space but yeah i mean i think that... so they're
1: buying young art and flipping it <laughs>
0: Well, uh, no, they no, would never do something like that. I'm honestly not entirely sure what they're gonna do. They didn't really give many details. They just, you know, they use this. Art I mean, give, honestly, given how shitty today. the
1: Christie's website and app are to navigate, the notion of them hosting an art and technology conference, mm-hmm. I just had pure, pure jomo. So happy not to be in New York City. So happy not to be attending something like that.
0: The one thing that, that you did miss, and I missed as well, uh, because you know, I'm not doing much, but the the opening of this show at O'Flaherty's jamie and Juliana velati oh yeah
1: clearly the party the art world party of the summer in new york city
0: uh it looked absolutely insane i mean the, you know there was only a window of about half an hour when you could go into the gallery before the cops shut it down but then there were thousands of people out on the street
1: the pictures were amazing i mean i think some of the best pictures that i saw the art was probably whatever I mean, it was an open call show love the idea of it um uh, i think the art cops... is
0: horrible the art, the yeah, art is I'm sure, really. I'm sure.
1: That. As I was saying, the the pictures of the the police allowing Jamien uh, access to their bullhorn to help to disperse the
0: crowd were pretty special. Yeah, that wouldn't have been on my 2022 bingo card, you know, Jamien and and the New York City Police Department working together.
1: Well, you know, if if, if I were a more radical type, I'd, I'd wonder if they uh would have extended the same courtesy to the several hundred uh uh people milling about uh, to try and enter this art show had it been for instance for like uh been like some sort of uh a hip hip hop event right <laughs> oh God,
0: yeah, a completely different thing,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean I'm no radical, but that that kind of stood out
0: stood out to even to me mm-hmm. um but the uh, but the the event itself got you know reams of sort of wall to wall press. I wonder how that came about. Um. <laughs> well, it seems like there are several. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know,
1: I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna even touch that one. <laughs> um, it seems like there's a lot of machinations behind the scene, but it is like, it is for Manhattan. It's a relatively fresh thing, yeah. like having this kind of, you know, openness. And there's some other shows around that part of the city. Um, you know, I actually used to live for about two and a half years, I believe, uh, upstairs in the building that Jamian's, uh, that, uh, that that O'Flaherty's is in. I didn't know it was, was that in.
0: exact building.
1: Yeah, in that exact building. I was two stories up. I would have been so cranky had I been living there, and uh, and that was taking place. And I guess the the residents of, of that building were so cranky because they've uh, summarily basically evicted the gallery uh, from a space that used to be like a dance studio. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they I think they're moving to Tribeca starting in the fall. Uh, so the gallery uh- will keep on going but no not in this space which is, which I don't
1: is know, so part part of the charm of it
0: was that it was in the
1: east village and somewhere that at least for the past 20 years hasn't been a real site of art exhibitions you know yeah
0: and you know as someone who lives in the east village but sort of not that far east it's always such a pleasure to finally get to avenue c because then you're done with all the the brunch people and you know the 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 dumb you know sort of stores and shit and it's actually still feels like the lower East side over there
1: you know that show is open for you know at least another few weeks so you can still go and check it out mm-hmm. this just the opening shut down and if you are there I would highly recommend you go across the street to Cafe Adela's uh, one of the original uh, Borican restaurants that has probably for my money actually the best rotisserie chicken in New York City
0: uh, I think that you are right Benjamin I had it just a few weeks ago and it is lights out insane I do miss Adela who passed away a few years ago she was such a sweetheart but uh, her family, who are now running the place, are still cranking out. Yeah, the best rotisserie chicken probably in the city.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely in Lower Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I would encourage you to go support that old school. You know, the history of that building is pretty funny, especially that they're they're mad about all these artists making noise uh, during their openings and whatnot. And that was originally a squat that was taken over mm-hmm. and then became a co op because people the the current residents or or or, or whatnot. Uh, took it over it's an hfdc um, Mm -hmm. which means that it's a it's kind of a income uh, income restricted for who can who
0: can buy apartments there and live there Mm -hmm. yeah just a
1: little bit of east village history for you from an old
0: time i think both of us could go pretty deep on this we're not going to nimbify this podcast quite yet i think no 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 no,
1: no. (laughs) nor are we going to yimby it thank god because those people are just as annoying yeah
0: exactly
1: (laughs) (laughs) speaking of which i know you're a writer nate do you read much (laughs) do you know how to read (laughs) did you did you uh, even though we're both on twitter did you catch any of this discourse about writers who don't read
0: oh you know what i i did see it in my brief uh glimpses at the internet in these busy times um i couldn't figure out where what the origin was was yeah i didn't find
1: the beginnings i just saw like the third order references to it myself i
0: did think about a guy i knew years ago who wrote a few books that were published like by sort of small press like like sort of small press it got a, a little bit of like attention around it and he claimed to never read any books and that made him a better writer but i don't think this is about him but
1: no i think it was actually it was some sort of like uh nanny state uh discourse about people uh, I think at least my reading was like, you know, saying that there was some sort of um, privilege involved in people that read <laughs> who wrote. I don't know. That's how I decided to take it anyway and be annoyed about it. And then thankfully my phone said I'd, I'd over, over gone my limit on Twitter. So I had to yeah, log out. I think so.
0: the rule of thumb is, is, is reading makes you a better writer. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, I think that, <laughs> I mean, that, that's... That, that without like trying to offend anyone, I'm just going to say generally, I think that's. Yeah.
1: From Duke to the Iowa's <laughs> workshop. I think
0: that was probably pr- pretty, pretty standard.
1: Anyway, Anyway, what else were we going to talk about? Oh, there's uh, the, the the continuing German anti-Semitic
0: disaster that is Documenta. I mean, it's, uh, it's, they had the director the director resigned, right? The director resigned. It's just a disaster over there. I mean, it's shocking to think that we were both in Kassel, Germany. Just weren't we there five years ago? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, anywhere. I mean, no, we were both there. We we went to that really great pub, or was that in Munster?
1: That was in Munster. That was in Munster. Yeah,
0: but still, we were in. We were at in Castle. At Documenta, because it's the thing that that you know you have to do every five years. This year, I I mean I couldn't go for obvious reasons. But even if if, if I were able to go, I don't think I would go to it because it's just it it seems like such, it's imploding.
1: I mean I've I've heard two sides and uh, in that some people. You know there's there's always been and always is and we get hit for this a lot there's a bifurcation in the art world so the art world we're in which is primarily commercially driven mm-hmm. right um we go to art fairs to see transactions and or take part in transactions and then there's people that go for the intellectual discourse that surrounds that commercial event you know documented is a bifurcation that it's really totally a commercial right. and it's really about art for art's sake uh, I would say relatively dry art, art that isn't always emotional. At least in my experience of this curatorial group, but, you know, some people that are really into the art of curation uh, think this is an incredible documentary. Leaving aside right. the the, the anti Semitic uh, uh, projects that were were included, which seems like it was just a lack of oversight when you have a uh, just too many participants and not enough oversight. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I would say, you know, without having seen it, and and I might get killed for this. This seems a, a a case of twenty years later, like all these curatorial studies programs like run riot in a certain segment of the art world, and this is this exhibition is what that that portion of the art world gave birth to <laughs> all the all the goldsmiths uh, discourses and graduates and barred graduates mm-hmm. and all that you know who who are curating art that's primarily about art mm-hmm. uh, and not about experience or beauty. Um, run rough shot
0: over the world Mm -hmm. and then yeah this is just the inevitable
1: you know but I will say I wish I it just didn't work out schedule wise from this year. I wish I could have seen it. Mm-hmm. I would much rather be. Uh, I think my take would remain the same, but I would much rather have seen it. In yeah, person. I, I and I would. I have know like some people it. people that I tend to disagree with their opinion about art, but but nonetheless they're they're smart and intelligent people. Really, really liked it. Well, so that's good, and that is is what it is.
0: Again, maybe I've just not seen the definitive sort of critical analyses of of it, but I haven't really read something that vigorously defends it in a way that I found. Um, are really compelling. Most were just sort of, you know, I, I saw some real takedowns and I saw some people who were just a little bewildered, you know. Um, but I would like, I, I, I obviously wish I could have gone too.
1: Well, listen, even even the best of viewing circumstances, Kassel uh, is not a real charming city. I don't, no, I've never not. enjoyed my time there, even when I've enjoyed the art. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a disaster over there. Let's see what happens in four years. I mean, I think, you know, like a single curator and not a collective would maybe be a great yeah, choice.
0: That, that might be the way to go.
1: Yeah, you know, listen, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not into the bureaucratic state, and this seems to be part and parcel with a bureaucratic state mm-hmm. outlook on life. Yeah. Um. You know who's... The, dude, everyone's tried. Larry tried. Uh, the Glimpshires have now tried. Uh, a few little galleries have even tried. Some have had some moderate, I would say, minor success. No one, on the whole and on the average, no one in the Bay Area of San Francisco want to buy art, and no gallery is going to work there.
0: Nope. It's, just, it's. I think that Pace, which announced that they were closing their Palo Alto... Uh, gallery and consolidating all their efforts in los angeles they were the last kind of holdouts you know of of the megas to to have a space in say, just there in the bay area like you said um what happened
1: it just well i mean i i, I think you probably read as well as i did it's supposedly lorraine powell jobs has shifted her allegiance from the pace empire to hauser and um, and I wonder how much her lack of attention to their programming uh, is related to this, yeah. if at all.
0: I think that's probably a big part of it. Uh, you know, I mean, so sh- she is no longer involved with our favorite experiential art based megalith the super blue empire
1: i don't not i don't think that is true but i think she was doing a lot of buying and all of her buying previously had been through pace Mm -hmm. and i've heard whispers and it's been reported in uh in in i believe it was in the canvas that she was now doing her buying through house Worth. i think this is separate from from blue man group whatever the fuck it's called Mm Uh, since that's a separate commercial entity right okay Um, but I always thought you know Palo Alto was kind of a pre the Palo Alto Space of Pace was kind of a precursor to that because it really ended up focusing on a lot of experiential mm-hmm. art they did the people that do the rain inside the rooms the, and the stuff rain, like yeah that. the rain room guys yeah yeah people like, love that it, shit it's, hey who wouldn't man you I know? don't
0: know I went in and I got rain. fucking though. take
1: half an edible and like you know but, anything looks but good. it
0: didn't work for me I got wet
1: <laughs> well maybe that's <laughs> more about you than the art I don't know I would <laughs> save that one for therapy Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> um Good Anyway, call. I don't think anyone's. I don't. I don't think there's going to be any lamentations about the lack of that. I never. You went to the space. I never. I never had a chance to go see it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did I mean, you go see it? No. No. Actually, I I did. I did. Yeah. I, okay. never saw it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we don't go to documentary. We don't go to Powell. To this, we draw the line somewhere, man. No. I mean, I'm shocked that I made it to San Francisco at all this year for the two nights <laughs> I did. Um, something we didn't touch on last week, and we
1: should have, because it was fresh, fresh news. Was that the Gagosian Gallery uh, announced a big pickup mm-hmm. of a young painter, Harold Ancart, formerly of the David Zwerner Galleries? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, quite the quite the move. Um, obviously, as as we chatted about, I think at length, it feels like at length, uh, Harold decided to move after the gallery owner's son slept with his ex girlfriend yeah. at Zwerner, mm-hmm. um, uh, Lucas, and uh, and uh, made the power move over to uh, over to Gagosian i hope larry doesn't have a wandering eye man oh come on um
0: (laughs) well i mean i think that i think it's a valid concern (laughs) yeah i think that this was in the air almost immediately after uh harold who's you know great young painter very very commercial very very uh you know uh accessible in a lot of ways um and, and I heard about it, what, in April? When, did, yeah, um, I
1: think we all kind of knew that since this was happening. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, though, a few years ago when, when Harold was thinking of moving or preparing to move to a larger gallery, I mean, he's still with clearing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Gagosian uh, the Gagosian. Uh, announcement didn't mention clearing in any way, shape, or form, as is their want. But uh, anyway, but but previously, when he was looking uh, uh, to to expand his gallery representation, from what I understand uh, the Lowry and the Exhibitions Committee Kagosian at that point in time were not so
0: interested in the practice. Interesting. I'm
1: not sure what changed, or maybe if just uh, rubbing the salt in the wounds of Mister. Warner wasn't too good a uh, opportunity to pass up.
0: I think the show that Harold did in September of 2020. At, at the Chelsea spaces was pretty, pretty spectacular. And I think that that would have changed basically anyone's mind. Listen, I've
1: always liked the work. Yeah. That show was incredible. Mm-hmm. It
0: And it showed that he could work at scale and fill a exactly. large space. I've always, uh, also in, always been a fan. In
1: Manhattan's Chelsea neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a fan, but those paintings were insane right. and incredibly good. And and uh, happy I was able to place, uh, mm-hmm. I think, one
0: or two. One, um, one short thing to, to end on, I think, uh, page six had a, a very interesting item last week. Detailing how Diana Agron, who's the, the ex of the two people who we just mentioned, was most recently dating Bradley Cooper, but then got dumped by Bradley Cooper, who is now dating Huma Abedin anthony wiener's ex-wife just just putting that out there
1: what a world we live I in, know Matt freeman i know what a world we live in i know um all right that should be it for us we've gone a little bit longer than i thought we would we are coming up with david lewis from the david lewis yeah. gallery uh, <laughs> Come kind on of like segue, right after this man from page six to
0: david lewis <laughs> i think i think
1: i have a lot to say about that story yeah um all right that's it thanks nate all right enjoy lady mm-hmm. we'll talk to you guys later out Welcome back to Nota Bene. I'm thrilled to be joined by David Lewis here in one of his multiple gallery spaces. This one in East Hampton, New York, on the eastern end of Long Island. Uh, 53 The Circle, which is an address that my GPS was not thrilled to figure out. It's listed as the former um, site of the Democratic, the, the Long Island Democratic Party. It is? In, in my Apple Maps, anyway.
2: That's weird and cool. We'll yeah. explore that.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll get into it. Anyway, we are here in this uh, this uh, this brand new gallery space to you, uh, relatively new, anyway, um, and we're surrounded by these amazing pictures by Thomas Esson. Is that how you say the, pronounce that it correctly? That is, yes, um, Thomas, an incredible uh, Cuban painter or American based but a, a Cuban born painter, um, and we're surrounded by work going back like twenty five, thirty years or so, right? Nineteen ninety three. Yeah, uh, I'm not good at math, but it's been a minute. Um, and they're incredible, and this is work that's totally new to me, although you have hosted an exhibition of his work in your New York space or in your former New York space, and he was a subject of a solo exhibition at the ICA in Miami. Um, tell me a little bit about this work and how it came to you.
2: So, uh, Tomás came to me through that ICA exhibition. Some uh, collectors of mine put it on my radar, and initially I was it didn't seem like something that related to anything the gallery or I was doing. And then that actually became exactly what what attracted me to it. And it turns out that it actually is very related to what we're doing because it's a very robust and already developed art historical story that has been either excluded from the mainstream, which as, as we were saying earlier is, is very is a pattern I find myself working with quite quite frequently. So Tomas is from Cuba, and he's from a generation of artists in the 1980s who experienced a moment of creative freedom and possibility or apparent freedom and possibility. And he was trained quite classically as a virtuoso draftsman, as is quite apparent, especially in the figure... Well, actually, in all the, throughout the work. And he made he had two exhibitions, one of which included a painting which had a kind of bestial orgy in front of a picture of Che Guevara, the iconic image of Che, in blackface. And interestingly, there's there's a great essay about this in the ICA catalog. It was that that image that offended the authorities and got him censored, not not the grotesque, not the sexual or scatological elements, but the the, the transmutation of an iconic. European image of European political identity into uh, a, an image of the global South and a post-colonial image of of Che not as a white European.
1: Uh, interesting, interesting. I mean, especially with the the kind of the the history of kind of Cuba and the you know and how the different kind of ethnic backgrounds there and how they've combined over the past five hundred years since its conquest by the Europeans have kind of played into its political culture. Um, I didn't catch that in the catalog as I was reading it. But we see, you know, you have the earliest work in the show. I'm not sure when it's from, but this is, it's an amazing, to me it's almost Guston-like, but not, but has this kind of this power and this, this almost comic core to it, super scatological and sexual, you know, orifices, uh, Things that can go in, things that can go out, you know, um, uh, bullhorns on the top. I mean, it's an inc- actually an incredible, incredible painting. Um, and you can see, as you, you noted, that he was a virtuoso draftsman. You can kind of see that play out, even though it's, um, it's rendered in a, in a sort of brutalist or, or faux, fro, faux art brute sort of style a little bit. What year is that from? Do you know? 93. 93? 93. Yeah. Incredible, incredible picture. I actually I'm staring at it right now and I love it. I actually love the show. Totally new to me. We scheduled this interview. I knew you had the show up, but I didn't have any you know, I, I looked online briefly, but walked in and was like totally blown away by the kind of four different types of work, or five if you include the wall mural that are included in the show. You have this, this image from nineteen ninety three, you have an incredible kind of um American flag like painting. Um when is that from?
2: That's twenty twenty two. Twenty twenty two. That's brand new. new. Yeah. Oh
1: it's it's an incredible picture, but it as you see in some of the other work in the show, he's moving towards something of a more abstract idiom, although keeping the brush strokes consistent with the earlier work. But I think that American flag is an amazing transition piece where you see a little bit of both both, both ends of his practice. Linking the two languages. Yeah, linking the two in, in yeah. one canvas, which I think is really key and really interesting. And um, so you, 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 a client brought the show at the ICA to your attention, and, and that's how you kind of came to the work
2: pretty much just take a look at this it's really good and and I did and I went down and I saw the ICA show and it it is the the physicality of the work and the virtuosity of the work was attractive to me but actually it was the kind of art historical narrative which drew me in and and the the, this sort of kind of aha or eureka moment where you're like this is a major artist who has not really been shown within an international gallery context. So th- there was excitement about the work and excitement about being in the position to preach a little bit, to take a, a story that's a Cuban story. Tomás's family is Jamaican, and this, this relates to what you were saying about all the different identities there. This is also an artist whose entire relationship to identity and to the construction of identity in Cuba was completely different from what he would subsequently experience in in Miami and in New York in the 90s so and also where you were, you had mentioned Gustin people talk about sometimes mention Bacon in front of this uh yep. Retrato from 93 I can see that Picasso obviously with the bullhead Tomas from a very early age Ha- devised a self-referential talismanic figure with the with a bull's bull's horns, and there are all these different kind of art historical histories going through this work, and that that was really what what motivated me, the 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 Afro Caribbean reinterpretation of Picasso and surrealism the. Tr- the the traditional life drawing training, which outside of Cuba would have been much less common to kind of produce a virtuoso in that post-Soviet way. Uh, the wall work, the kind of influence I think of 80s graffiti and kind of uh, mystical new- linguistics which you then see again in the flag, the idea that we're looking at characters but also at a kind of play of of painting as signs and signifiers.
1: Yeah, I mean not to not to like always relate an artist to 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 precedents or other artists I know, especially like other European male artists, but also like a ton of Tip Dunham like comes through in this like a, an yeah. amazing dialogue there. Um, uh, and even George Condo as well. Um, I'm just really blown away. So I think people should come and see the show. And as you say, it's kind of like, it's a practice that was sort of left outside by the art world that just wasn't noticed, wasn't taken up even Completely. though he's been living and working for over 40 years in the United States. Um, and we're seeing a lot of that writ large in the art world right now, kind of a, a process or a practice of rediscovery of things at the mainstream for whatever economic or, or sometimes prejudicial reasons. Didn't allow in to the to, to our art world, the somewhat commercial and 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 major museum art world, uh, but it's it's a history that you've been engaged in preceding even this kind of uh, current vogue in, in vogue in for it. Uh, Thornton Dial obviously is someone that you know that you really yep. were uh, instrumental in in putting back into the um, art historical record, right?
2: Definitely, it's it's definitely something that I would say the second the the gallery started really. With emerging artists, but my background previously had been art history. I I was I had done a PhD in art history, which I finished just as I started the gallery, and there there's something deeply exciting and uh, deeply motivate. There's a different energy that one the energy of working with an emerging artist and the energy of what you're describing these kind of projects of canon revision there's there's a really powerful energy that comes with that with an artist like Thornton Dial who was, had never been shown at a contemporary art fair until I started to, to show him or had only had one show ever at a contemporary gallery and it was treated without any hesitation as outsider art so even people that like the work would th- throw an attaboy his way and say good good job you know let's go back to the art world now you know the the work Sometimes Or people would compare Dial to Kiefer. And I, I would often be in the position to say, like, Dial has never been shown at an art fair. Kiefer has been shown at every single art fair all over the world for a half century. We're, you're comparing two completely different audience orientations. So there, there's a lot of energy for me in, in these stories. And Tomas for a ex- very similar kind of narrative.
1: Yeah, and these are people, both uh, Tomas and Thornton, though, well, you could say oh, they're outsider because they're outside the system. They're not fully self-taught, and that they there there's an integration and a and a lineage uh, throughout our, our history. Where they're looking back in their work, they're not. You know, it's not simply an act of self-discovery, right?
2: A hundred percent. I mean, the the whole the the Souls Grown Deep Foundation has some really good language on their website about. The prejudicial nature of the phrase "outsider artist." It's it's a very fraught and dismissive way of treating an artist. There are plenty, or, or even self-taught. There there is there are artists who, like Darger, who I think is a very great artist. But that is a very that is a practice of complete interiority. Dial, for example, didn't go to art school, but he was obsessively interested in the history of art, the history of images, and his role in in an art system. It was the art system that didn't want to provide him a place, and then they call him an outsider subsequent. Or, or in relationship to that,
1: yeah, I think that's a great phrase, the interiority, and that's kind of maybe the split and the and the difference, you know, like um, with someone
2: like Darger. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Uh, and I'm more interested in in the latter people that are looking back, even if they don't come yeah. from traditional, like even if they didn't go to fucking Yale or grow up, in, yeah, you know, grow up in a circumstance well, that if, allowed that. But if, if, if they are going to the library and looking back at old books, and you know,
2: well, why isn't? Ba- I mean, to, to use this is riffing off the foundations, uh, pointers, but Basquiat didn't didn't go to art school, did he? Like no, not so, at all. So why isn't he a self-taught artist? Like the, the 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 these are these are these are kind of um, words that carry a lot a lot of ghosts that are used to create uh, categories and to keep some people it's in a and great some difference. I mean,
1: really more an a, a use of an economic what sort of economic system they're in and how they're It's more than anything about the work itself. One hundred percent.
2: It's a cl- it's it's city country. It's different class systems. So but there's a lot there's a, it's really exciting to be to be in a moment of art history where that is being revised and there's an openness so one one of the things about dial is at the beginning of at the first show which i believe was 2018 there was a sense of like you know please excitement but also like dial belongs in the canon you know please, please guardians of the canon let dial into your canon and then i started to as as sort of uh, a newer generation of collectors, younger, but not necessarily younger, just newer, to whose collections were newer, they helped me understand that it wasn't Dial belongs in the canon. For them, Dial was the foundation of what they saw as the canon. It was a bedrock position to build on, not something to let in. Oh, and that wow. was interesting. really interesting.
1: Um, you know, and I, I will say there is, you know, not to be all daisies and sunshine, there is a, something of a problematic when I see I'm not talking about your artists in in particular, but in general, the art world kind of looking for things that have been left outside the mainstream, the main Mm -hmm. economic system. There's something of a vampiric vampire, like quality of it, like looking for fresh blood and kind Mm -hmm. of going back and trying to get them into the system. And you do see a little bit of that, but you know, uh,
2: Specific like I don't want to blow
1: up any specific artists, but, you know, looking back for practices or, or artistic practices that have not gotten the attention in the mainstream art world or the mainstream art econ- economies. Right. And looking to re- kind of rediscover and, you know, kind of store up and then place in a, in a, in a notion to try and to, to move up the price points of those artworks. Right. Uh, and especially from collectors being like, oh, I should, you know, I should buy this. It's going to be worth more because this personal narrative history is the kind of thing that people are interested in right now. Right.
2: I mean, I, I think like with any with any process, there's there's the sort same of, thing we saw with emerging art, you exactly. know, maybe ten years ago, exactly. right? I, I think there's always going to be all sorts of motivations, and there's going to be cynical elements, but also a lot a lot of really kind of passionate and, and motivated elements. Yeah,
1: no, no, I, I mean, I think there's there's both. Just you know, we live within a capitalist system, and capital has a way of you
2: know, yeah, uh,
1: surrounding everything. I, it's I like will, water.
2: I will say, with DIAL, my experience has not been with my experience has been that given that people are people there there are more obvious investment choices and there are there are more even if i believe long term that it will be that it is and will be a great investment i haven't actually experienced people kind of seeing it that way primarily i've experienced a lot of passion about how great the achievement is, how unique an American story it is, and how much that sense of belonging is something collectors want to be a part of.
1: Yeah, no, I wasn't, I wasn't speaking about Thornton in general. It's oh. just, it made me think just
2: more broadly about yeah. what's going well, on. Well, there's questions we of quality, out. you know, and, and also then subsequent questions of, like, how one assesses quality when one is aware that the categories are themselves conditioned, but...
1: I mean, do you believe in connoisseurship?
2: I... I do very very much so, but I also would put an asterisk by that because connoisseurship is itself socially conditioned. So you have to sort of be able to think on to think and act and see on multiple levels. Yeah, and understand
1: how your subject position has been constructed, including your notion right. of connoisseurship. Ex- right. Exactly.
2: So you you want to be able to have a. I believe in connoisseurship quite a bit because what what else do you, does someone like you or I at a certain level when we're looking at things or assessing things, but I but there's also a level of the historical construction, which I also believe in. So it's not actually so much connoisseurship with someone like Tomas Hassan that motivates me. It's, I think, more, or in addition to the connoisseurship, it's that art historical fight that I like fighting. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, so uh, to kind of widen out the lens a little bit, we're sitting here in East Hampton, one of the tonier zip codes uh, in the country, if not the world, I would guess, How'd you end up here, opening again? I mean, obviously, over the, since since 2020, since COVID, we've seen a lot of the art market move to these um, vacation lands of the ultra ultra high net worth individuals. Um, but we're a couple of years later. What made you choose this summer to come out and stage some exhibitions here?
2: I think I think like a lot of a lot of decisions. It it seems kind of it seems somewhat intuitive. It just sort of popped up. But I had I had been coming out here on and off for for some summers beforehand. And it, it never really made sense to me because I realized in retrospect that I needed to have a gallery to make sense of it. It's, it seemed to back up like you and I had discussed this, like the Whitney ISP as a background. My background was academic. I was an art historian and I completed the PhD and really started with that mentality, that mindset, whether it was an emerging artist or an art historical figure, it was really a set my the only having not worked in a gallery or had any experience in in that part of the system or an auction house or any of, of the commercial aspects of the system the only the only sense of grounding and confidence i had was the ability to learn about understand and discuss or share share uh, credible intellectual enthusiasm about an artist and that was of course very much the time of emerging art on the Lower East Side. This is about eight eight or nine years ago, 2013, I opened. Yeah,
1: yeah. what was your first show? It was Don Casper, right?
2: It was a group show, then it was Lucy Dodd, and then it, shortly after that was Don Casper. Okay. But Don and Lucy, and in particular, Don was very important to the ethos of the gallery because there was a kind of bohemianism to it, performance, uh, adventure, possibility, Was which... I think maybe to somebody with a more gallery professional mindset wouldn't have been worth all the trouble. Whereas to me, I didn't... I was excited by it, but I also didn't yet know what the right trouble didn't was. Didn't know any better, maybe. Exactly. No, no, I didn't know any better at all.
1: Oh, which is a great way to start any venture. A hundred percent. With like a full open mind and not trying to... Not, being, not prescribing to the way things have been done or should be done and kind of discovering for yourself. I mean, lots of mistakes can be made, but you know, it's a way to learn, right?
2: Totally. I think... I think sometimes you know people say if you knew if you had known at the time what you know you wouldn't have started it or you wouldn't have started it in that way.
1: Get me more into the nuts and bolts. So you're you're finishing your PhD, your ABD or you've written your you've written your dissertation in 2013?
2: I'm I finished in 2012. So there's a little prehistory in Europe. So I was living I was living in France finishing my pr- finishing my PhD which is on Francis Picabia. So I was in Paris, you know, Pretending to access the archives and so forth. so as that was happening, which it was a wonder it, being in Paris as, a, as a, an American academic or graduate student is a wonderful experience. yeah on a
1: stipend like
2: yeah, and just it's the land you know the libraries, the the, the art it's just it was wonderful, but there was a, I had a growing sense of dread what now? And I was also writing contemporary art criticism. I was writing for art forum and for freeze. And Paris was a pretty small pond, so I, you know, the, I had gotten, so I had gotten to know people and people meant a lot of the people that I naturally got close to were, were dealers. There was a magic to me of, that galleries were making happen. And that was completely intuitive. When in 2010, my, my son was born and I thought it's time to go back to New York and there was just a sense around little galleries. This is what I want to do. I want this. I don't want to be the guest. I don't want to go to, to be a part of everyone else's world. I want to do this. And so that's how it started. And I had a brief partnership with a French gallery, Beliche Hurtling, in New York in 2011, 2012. Oh, that's right. Of course. And that was in Hell's Kitchen, which was an eccentric location. And it was a very short-lived collaboration. And then I reset on my own in 2013 on the Lower East Side.
1: Okay. Okay. Amazing. And that was the, uh, w- w- that space was on Eldridge?
2: Uh, I was on Eldra 88 it was it was so Miguel Abreu was a friend and like virtually everyone I knew in the art world at the time he was a friend through my writing because I had reviewed so many of his artists in Europe through what was at the time Sudden Lane which is now Compoli Presti so I'd written and I'd actually reviewed Rebecca Quaitman at his at his her first show at his space so i had kind of built up a little network and 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 a friendship with these artists and i was very and they were at the time kind of a they were a, a formidable crew and it was and they were also very theory heavy super theory heavy which i was into at the time being being a, uh, an academic and actually i was writing very much about Picabian on theory picabian post structuralism so it all kind of fit so miguel invited me to be in that space when he started that project on Eldridge Street. On Eldridge Street, okay. And that's how I got there, and I I had finished the PhD in 2012. So I finished just in time, basically.
1: And you're in Eldridge Street for... Over five years, six years, something eight like. years, eight years, yeah, yeah. Because it was just in this last fall that you moved to the Tribeca space. Do I have that right? Yep. Okay. Exactly. I'm not working from any notes here, so the, please feel no. Free that's to exactly me. right. Um, and you have the Tribeca space. Then you also have, and I haven't been. You have a space in the West Village that's yeah. more of a domestic type situation. That's my house. But
2: that that's actually we're we will do one last show there in September of of uh an, an artist that will be new to the gallery, Leia Kei Zheng. And then that I will shut that down. That was a, that was so it, that was that space has sort of yeah. So essentially, what happened is elder, the lower east side. Actually, once I, I once some years ago did a, did a, an interview with a Japanese uh, magazine. They asked me about the lower east side, and and I I shared the idea that the lower east side as I experienced, it was not a a location, it was a grammar of art. It was a way of thinking. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense, yeah. And and I was very much in that way of thinking. A lot of the first generation of artists that I worked with were the students of of senior practitioners on the Lower East Side. There was a, a sort of lineage relationship. Like Kyle Thurman, who we'll do a show with in September, he was Rebecca Quaintman's assistant for many years. So there was, a, there was very much a kind of post-MFA trajectory there in a way of thinking that was built up as a kind of theorized alternative to what had been going on in Chelsea around 2005 to 2010.
1: Yeah, that, that makes sense. And then that kind of, that petered out. The I would call, Laurie, you said an idea. You said a, a language or an idiom, but an idea. And the, yeah. the idea kind of... Petered out, or uh, its time in history just was passed. Really. It ran its course. Yeah, it ran its course. Um, so, as many other galleries have transitioned out of that neighborhood, did you do a like a? Did you work out of the West Village space that your living space was that while you were building out and finding the Tribeca space? Exactly. Okay.
2: Exactly. And that's what that's what I, that's why I I don't that's why I mentioned that that's the Lower East Side. Uh, Let's call it the way of thinking the the cultural grammar is quite formidable actually it it was very um strongly wired in my brain, and also i had so to me the the gallery was on Eldred street that was it, so actually being able to show work in my home and actually expand just just my my awareness oh the gallery i can show work here the gallery can be anywhere it's not it's no longer belongs to that lower east side space and head that opened up the possibility of then moving and then we moved to tribeca
1: to a beautiful space in tribeca oh, thank I thank you would say. it's really really thank you, know, you. you you've always had nice spaces the eldridge space was very nice too i mean that building had a certain like you know it had a footprint that you couldn't get out of but you, it, you managed to it, do yeah a lot it was it. like the, the yeah it was it was a lot
2: it was a big ask to go up that elevator and then across five stories and then across a whole city block. But the space itself was, was quite beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I agree.
1: I agree. Um, do you like the act of being a dealer? Like, do you like being at an art fair on the first day? Like, do you like the buzz of it? The deal making portion of it? Is it still mostly an intellectual pursuit and the dealing with artists that you like?
2: I like all the aspects of it uh, very much. I do
1: you know, I, I love art dealers, like, more than anyone else in the art world, having the, uh, when I say art dealers, I mean gallerists, actually, having the wherewithal and the courage to, like, rent a space and put them things on the wall and try and explain to other people why they're important and why they should like them, too. Like, I think that takes so much uh, uh, so much spirit. Like, I get to do my little thing where I have a little office and I just, you know, tell people what I like, but I don't have any of the risk. Like I think, well, Gowers you, you and my, preach too. Well, I preach too, but you know, it's a, I, I, my church is much smaller, shall we say. Um, it doesn't have the public facing thing. And I, I love mostly speaking about art to Gowers because something that fascinates me is the combination of aesthetics and idea making and ideally world making with the hard facts of like, I need to sell this thing. What is this object worth in, in the market today? Um, and so that's why I'm drawn to people like you. And so I'm just wondering if you really enjoyed that part of it, like the commercial side, or is that just a necessary evil to to get to do the thing you love?
2: It's definitely not a just a necessary evil. I there are there are elements that I don't particularly enjoy, but it's it's like it's like creating. There, there's also there's I enjoy most aspects of the gallery very much, and I enjoy that there are so many aspects because it's it's a very there's a stimulation to being able to play so many roles and having to play so many roles there, there's an intellectual element there. There's an operational kind of biz, business element. There's a sales element. There's it's, it's really actually it's, it's so wonderful to constantly be able to wear different hats and, and have that you're not trapped in any one thing. So it's, it's definitely something I, I love
1: Um, kind of, turning back a little bit uh, to this space in particular and having a gallery here in East Hampton, was this something that you thought uh, would be for existing clients that just a way to keep in touch with them? Or do you think you would meet new people and how, how has reality diverged thus far from what your perception of what it would be like? I I
2: think it was, I think it was a bit of both, but it it was also a post lower East side sort of awareness that the one needs to continue to to preach beyond the converted, beyond, you know that there and and also we you had said that the Lower East Side sort of petered out that that way of thinking petered out, and I was fortunate because I was able to also move into some other artists and some other stories as the as that cultural conversation shifted. So I'm not sure though what I was thinking. In it wasn't like there was no real plan. It was it was an instinct. It was like. I've spent time here. A lot of my clients are out here. But I think, I think there's an awareness that work will, work will be done on the ground here as we just experienced in the gallery, but also that it will allow the overall gallery to grow in, in, in unexpected ways, that it, that it changes the possibilities. Yeah, and to be open to those, not knowing the possibilities. That Which I don't in know. The process. Yeah, yeah. Right. But, but I do have a sense that they will be positive over time.
1: Other than the gallery and working with artists and uh, and 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 handling all that and being a dad, what else in life is interesting to you these days? Are you a food guy, a politics
2: guy? Like mm, mostly, I'm not much of I'm not much on food or politics. I I I'm mostly the gallery and two kids is more or less more or less double full time. But I, I'm enjoying being out here. I'm enjoy. I, mean, I have a nice little garden at the home, which I'm enjoying. I enjoy reading mostly. That's yeah. That's my fa- that's my favorite sort of non-gallery Same. activity. Same. Yeah. Um, are, are the
1: kids out here with you full time for the summer?
2: Uh, they're back and forth. Back and forth. Yeah, but they around. were they were just here and they'll be here again this weekend. Okay. Um, I, I've been listening to this podcast, The History of Rome. Oh, I don't know it. Oh, I it's, fucking hate podcasts. I don't usually like podcasts either, but this is, this is actually kind of a classic podcast from about 10 years ago. I think there's 180 episodes. It's all of Roman history. And then I've been reading in relationship to that. So, Oh, interesting. So we just got through Hadrian. And, of course, I've always wanted to read uh, memory Memoirs of Hadrian. But uh, now I have, like, a extra motivation for that.
1: That's good. I'm going through like a New York City history, both like the kind of serious books and the like books about society in New York from the 1980s and oh, 90s. Like, that sounds fun. Yeah, but like, I think maybe bright I should lights, be,
2: big city. Yeah,
1: that sort of thing. And and but maybe I should go back and then do a Rome after my New York period.
2: Well, Rome has been has been has been the right energy for right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah for, for, for good ale. <laughs> alright they're, they're like art dealers, the Roman. I mean, the, it's, like, it's like a history of art dealing at a certain yeah, set. Yeah,
1: and like, you know, an empire that's falling. You know, it <laughs> seems like apropos <laughs> to the present moment. Um, that's all I got. We're going to stay here and chat a little bit, but thank you so much for taking the time. I really oh, appreciate thank, it, David. Thank you very much. All man. right, Everyone, if you're in East Hampton, come check it out. 53 The Circle. You can get uh, a kind of low end, but probably a very effective massage right next door. All right, that's it. That's it.